Good afternoon, tennis fans. Good afternoon, tennis fans. Welcome to the Yellow Ball Network. This is where you'll find your tennis news. This is your host, Coach Denise, exploring tennis blessings and its effects on life's journey. Tennis is a wonderful sport, which could be the vehicle that takes you through life's journey. And our mentors, well, they might provide that roadmap for your journey. On most Thursdays, I am blessed to be talking with mentors who have paved the pathway for many tennis players and coaches. Who are these mentors? Well, most of them are authors, like on the first and second uh, Thursdays, it's Alan Fox, the first Thursday, Coach Chuck Greasy, uh, the second Thursday. On those other Thursdays, uh, you could hear people like Dr. John Murray, Dr. Bryce Young, Coach Linda LeClaire, uh, Coaches Ashley Hobson, uh, Coach Scott Williams. Uh, and who knows, over the last three years, we've been blessed to have coaches like Nick Saviano, Scott Engie, and other outstanding high school and uh, college coaches, as well as uh, USTA, PTA, and USPTA officials have all been guests on the uh, broadcast. So you never know who you're going to uh, enjoy listening to. Of course, the nice thing about Block Talk Radio and the Yellow Ball Network is that you can listen at any time you choose to this broadcast or any of the other ones, like Coach Chuck Greasy's Wednesday's uh, program, American Tennis. And now on Sundays, you can hear the coaches corner with Randy Blumenthal. Uh, I would like to thank the Yellow Ball CEO, J.P. Weber, for hosting our network. And if you're not following We Coach Tennis on Facebook, well, you're missing out on some useful information. Because I do believe Dr. King, when he said that life's beginning to end the day we become silent about things that matter, each Thursday I will add my personal views on North American tennis. And naturally, you will hear my biased views that the tennis journey should be going through our high schools and colleges. Who knows? Together, we may wake up that sleeping giant high school tennis. Besides our weekly conversation, the almighty willing, you will also be able to continue reading my articles in Florida Tennis Magazine. And as I have previously expressed, if you disagree, please email me at coachdenise.fhstca at att.net. That's coachdenise, D-A-N-I-S-E, dot F-H-S-T-C-A at att.net. Who knows? You may read your views in Florida tennis or hear them on one of our Coach Denise Sharon uh, Tennis Blessings broadcasts. It would not be the first time that's happened. Remember, if somebody has taken that last issue of Florida Tennis from your pro shop, you can always see the last issue of the magazine by going to www.floridatennis.com. Or between issues, you can find Jim Martz and my articles as well as other information on the Facebook site, that's FL Tennis, Facebook at FL Tennis. 
in between issues. There's always things happening, and we try to keep them posted on Facebook so that uh, you're kept up to uh, date on what's going on. It's. Uh, I think we have a special well. I know we have a special broadcast because it's always uh, uh, special when uh, Coach Chuck Greasy is with us. And uh, today is that second uh, Thursday, which means Chuck Greasy is here. Well, let me get to my commentary first, and then I think I see. Uh, Coach uh, on the uh, line, and I'll get to him in one minute. Uh, I must admit, I didn't expect my November 29th commentary, what is a coach, would be extended into now my third Thursday weekly commentary, but here goes. Last Thursday, I addressed time and promised I would also address mentors tennis organizations, and my reference to my Judeo-Christian belief uh, in my college philosophy. Being our mentor today is Coach Chuck Greasy, who has often spoken on his three-tier mentor program. I thought of addressing that subject today, and then I looked at the back page of this issue of Florida Tennis Magazine and saw Inspiration Tennis Academy ad. The Academy Tennis Director, Ashley Hobson, who is one of our mentors on Coach Denise Sharon Tennis Blessings, and not because he has coached in 60 countries as a national coach, uh, or a Davis Cup coach, or a Fed Cup coach and captain, or as uh, today's mentor, Coach Chuck Reese states, he is one of the leading stroke technicians in the game of tennis today. All those are important, but the reason is but because of his philosophy, I believe, best reflects mine and my Judeo-Christian beliefs. I think the re- that the reason Ashley Hobson is working with college players, pros, and up-and-coming tennis players is his philosophy on teaching. And if I may, I would like to quote his philosophy as stated, on the rear page of December 2018, January 2019 issue of Florida Tennis Magazine. Quote, our philosophy, we believe that without the right heart and mind, champions can never be made. Character strengths are paramount in today's society of information overlay. We use the vehicle of demand in tennis training and competition to enhance and develop character traits of resilience, integrity, self-control, passion, goals, delayed gratification, commitment, responsibility, motivation, courage, and self-confidence. No matter how far you go as a player, If you use tennis to strengthen your character, tennis will be a priceless gift. End of quote. Yes, Ashley, six stages of developing a player are also part of being a coach, as are time, mentors, and tennis organizations are also part of the equation of being a coach. But in my opinion, knowing who you are and living by those beliefs 
is my suggestion for becoming a successful coach. The Almighty will then, in the next couple of broadcasts, I will address either mentors or tennis organizations on my further commentary. But uh, that's it for today. I uh, didn't, like I said, I didn't expect that my uh, uh, first commentary would bring all these other questions, but like I previously said, I'm always willing to address those uh, comments when they come. Uh, I do uh, believe in, uh, as many of you know, uh, answering your phone calls. I do answer your emails. And as long as uh, we can have a respectful uh uh, conversation. I don't mind uh, people disagreeing with me. I learned a long time ago that everybody doesn't agree with me, and uh, life still goes around. Coach, are you there? Good evening, Coach. John. Good evening. Yeah. How are you today? Just fine. Good. Well, I've uh, you heard my commentary. I did have uh, some uh, things, like I said at first, uh, I always considered, I uh, loved your mentoring, and I thought we might discuss uh, uh, that. But then uh, when I saw well, we that could talk ad, about it, uh, we could talk about it for two minutes or something. I think we covered it about three or four shows ago. And actually, you brought up, uh, you know, Inspiration Academy, it's great there. I think they're uh, Coach Randy Blumendahl's there and then Ashley, and they're getting this program underway. I've been trying to promote it uh, as many places as I can, John. So I'll be glad to, uh, again, go over it briefly. Um, If you'd like for me to, would you like for me to a minute or two here right now? If you uh, want to, it's uh, your broadcast. I mean, everybody knows the best shows are the ones that I do the least amount of talking. So uh, I'm blessed to have you on. Uh, We could go into that or another subject. It's up to you. Thank you. Real quickly on the mentoring, here's the key thing. Uh, Have you ever noticed in the United States of America, I don't know, I don't care whether it's a tennis club, a tennis team that has a new coach, uh, let me get off this headphone so I can talk better here. Um, I think you could probably hear me a little bit better now. I can hear you good. Uh, good. Um, well, you know, a tennis coach, a new club or something, everybody that comes in that's new wants to put their brand on something, so they reinvent the wheel. And we constantly are going back to a start-over position and, and everyone knows that mentoring is key. Most of the time we do it with our young people. Um, and we usually put an older person with a younger person, and the older person is supposed to pour into the younger person. But what happens ultimately is that it wears the older person down and the younger person uh, gets a little bit um, stale with the same information and they don't, um, they're not as hungry for it. But that's why I've always promoted the three-tier mentoring program. And I got the idea from the organization Promise Keepers back in the mid-1990s. Actually, I had my son there at one, uh, they, golly, they had like 30,000 people, 30,000 men at a Promise Keepers meeting in Atlanta, and I went with my son years ago, about 1990-something. 
But the bottom line on the thing, that promote a three-tier mentoring program. This works fantastic, but you need to have a three-tier mentoring program where everyone has a person above them, everyone has a person below them, and then you hold a um, – at your level, you have a peer group that you hold accountable to a high standard. And so what happens is that you might have uh, – not like this, but this is an example – you might have a college age mentoring an 18-year-old, mentoring a 16-year-old who mentors a 14-year-old, who mentors a 12-year-old, who mentors his or her little sister or brother. And what happens is you get the information from above. You pass it on below. But then here is the critical thing. The critical thing is the level that is even with you. Um, and then you give those people who your same level permission to hold you accountable if we had a mentoring program in tennis i think we would we could go to the moon because um it's it's so so very important to just not waste time there's so much to learn and there's so much good information out there so everyone you know and biblically you everyone has a paul above them the teacher everyone has a timothy below them the a uh, student and everyone has a Barnabas, which is your best buddy, and you need to have three or four or five or 25 Barnabases there, and it works fantastic. So I'll give you an example. This weekend or this uh, couple days ago, I took my son up to see uh, his baseball teacher. I call him Miyagi. I've, I've talked about that before. He's a baseball whisper guy, like a horse whisper guy. He's an older guy. So he pours into my son, and then my son takes this, and he works on stuff for the next two weeks. About every two weeks, he gets this wisdom poured into him. So on the way back, I'm saying, son, a couple things are critical. Number one, you've got to teach this to other youngsters. He's 13, and once a week, he gets to go over and work with the 11-year-olds, and his old coach of the 11-year-olds, Let's him pitch some against the 11 year olds. I said, You've got to mentor those kids below you. And then also, you've got to help your teammates. And um, the, the critical thing is if you help your teammates, there's a law called, and I'll refer to this a little bit more this evening as we talk about um, the tweenerism situation, but you, you really need that. Um, the level that is even with you uh, for accountability. And there's a law called, there's a law of reciprocities, number one, which means whatever you give away, you get back tenfold. It's a law of the universe. It absolutely works. Uh, whatever you give to someone else in knowledge or in materialism, you're going to get back tenfold. It comes back to you. It comes back in the strangest way sometimes, but it comes back. That's number one. Then there's a thing called the law of abundance, which means in tennis, we always don't, we never want to give our ideas away. We hoard our ideas sometimes. Oh, we don't want our rival to learn this, or they might beat us or something. Well, the point is, number one, there's enough to go around for everybody. There's enough, there's enough uh, successes. There's enough things to go around for everybody. So when other people do well, it does not make us do more poorly. I've always said if I give my ideas away, 
I will get back two or three others. And if the person is, if the person is good and if the person is not good, they're going to say, what does he know anyway? I'm going to do it my own way. And they won't use your idea anyway. A bad person's not going to use your ideas. They're going to be too egotistical. So, but the whole concept would work so good if we had this concept. On a team, it works so, so very good. I work at the Citadel, which is a fantastic, fantastic institution. Uh, It's been there since 1842. They have a four-class system, and it works to a T. Whether or not they plan it that way, I guess they do. But the seniors pass it on to the juniors, pass on to the sophomores, pass on to the freshmen. And you learn how to lead that way and to be a leader. If we had this going on, I think, in the USTA, if we had this going on in our colleges, if we had this going on in our country clubs, uh, we could go to the moon. But presently we have people who want to be recognized as experts, and that's okay. But what they do is they hoard their ideas, and then they, they want to be, get full credit and become famous, and, and they want to become uh, – they, they want notoriety more than they want their ideas to be out there. So though that's a little bit, John, about the mentoring program. Again, it's called the Servant Back Program, and I started doing this um, in, in about around 2000, and I used it, I've used it with some good success, and I've had some other people use it with good success. But the bottom line on everybody listening to this program, if you've got a youngster, if you've got a high school team, it works because it puts responsibility on everybody to teach below them, teach somebody else. It teaches accountability to the people side to side. And then it it teaches also a hunger to learn more material. Two-tier mentoring programs don't work because they grind the people down, they wear out and it makes uh, pigeons out of uh, what what should be eagles. So, anyhow, John, that's that's uh, well, pretty much what it's what it's about. And that's important, and that's why we came to the title of this show years ago because of you and the people, the busy like yourself, that are still willing to give their time to help. One of the things that I find, and I think that we're going to you use that word tweener, but one of the comments that you hear over and over, and I maybe belong to too many coaching organizations, but being I don't have the time on the courts anymore because I'm limited because of my age, what I can do. Um, I sit there and I do listen and I do try to make comments, but why are the talk is often about this youngster or even some pros, how they underachieve. And it seems to be, I don't know if it's just because I'm in this industry or what, but it seems like our industry seems to be more than others. And maybe my ego's too big, but it seems to be us Americans are kind of underachieving today. Uh, maybe we ought to get into your, I've heard you before use that uh, phrase, tweener. I think that might be a good time to discuss it. Right. And, and let me let me say, first of all, our American way is not to give to others. Our American way, we work more for success instead of mastery. We work for popularity 
over mastery. And mastery means a hunger, a hunger to learn much deeper, a, uh, uh, a, a curiosity of the mind, a hunger to find out more. Uh, I love in the book, The Talent Code, uh, the guy in the first, Daniel Coyle, in the first part of the book, he talks about a rage to master. I love that term, a rage to master. Now, I wanted to bring up this fact. I absolutely positively believe we have an epidemic of tweenerism in the United States of America. Tweenerism, the definition, we know it in basketball terms. John and you were a basketball coach for years, and I grew up playing basketball. But tweenerism, if you look up the definition, it says someone who plays two positions, neither one of them very well. And we have tweeners uh, in our society now, and I think we are fostering tweenerism. We have a disease of tweenerism. Let me talk about tweenerism here a little bit. Um, we had a young lady at uh, Clemson back when I was uh, coaching there. This has been probably, I've been gone from there 10 years already. If I, It's hard to believe that the time goes that fast. But probably in the early not 2004, five in there, but um, we, we often as coaches have to go to these banquets, you know, and they're a pain in the neck sometimes, but you're, it was an academic honor roll back banquet. And, and we're, of course you're wanting to get out of there, but there's always diamonds dropped and there's always wisdom dropped if you're looking for it. So there was a young lady that got up and uh, she was probably 30 years old and she was giving the address to the students today, to the um, award winners and to the high academic achievers. And, and this was her um, address. She said, let me tell you a story about when I was on the track team here at Clemson. And she said, we, had, we came back from a meet, and it was a Sunday evening, and our coach said, look, we're going to have an easy practice tomorrow. Just practice some starts and things. Make sure you're here on time. Promise I'm not going to keep you. But she said, by the time practice came around the next day he had changed his mind and he said i've changed my mind today we're running 16 400 meters and whoa wait a minute and she said right away four groups of people um sort of paired with their own and the first group was were three or four young ladies that said, Coach, Coach, uh, we, we, look, we, we've got to go to the training room. We're awful stiff and sore from this weekend. I've got that hamstring I've been nurturing, Coach. And he said three or four of them just laid out. They just laid out of the workout. And then she said there was a second group. These girls paired up and said, oh, my gosh, this isn't what? There. We were, we were promised something else. This isn't fair. They did the workout but complained the whole way. And then she said, I was in the third group. I was in the group that said, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, this is something. Well, okay, let's just get this over with. 
she said we she ran the workout out of compliance and and did the workout regardless of how she felt. She just got through it and but she said there were three young ladies that basically had the attitude, this is my chance to train more. This is my chance to get better. Coach, this is it's sort of uh, humorous here. We just had this, but let's go. Let's get this done. And she said if you track their lives afterwards, and she, she of course, pointed out that these three were very, very highly successful people. I think one was a doctor and one was a grad that graduated Harvard MBS something, you know. I mean, of course, she had the great stories about what had happened to them. And she said she often used that as a, as a reference point for when adversity struck later after that time. And I, I uh, that next couple summers later, I remember that my wife called me, John, I was on the road, and she said, Charlie, Charlie, she called me Charlie. Charlie, Charlie, you got to motivate the kids. They're having their first swim meet with a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old. And uh, then I had nine, seven, and five. The five-year-old didn't swim yet. But she says, you've got to help motivate the kids. So I got on the phone, and I said, huh, okay. And the loaded language, I tell them all the time, regular stuff is, yeah, Papa, yeah, Papa, good enough. And then, and then uh, do your best and forget the rest. Yeah, 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 Papa. So I could tell I wasn't getting anywhere with them. So what I did was I said, okay, there are four kinds of athletes. Those that sort of give up when something gets hard. Those are the wimpies, kid. Kids, those are the wimpies. The ones then that don't give up, but they complain all the time. Now, those are the whiners. Those are the whiners. And then those that just go out and do it, but they don't or don't put their heart into it. Those are the those are the tweeners. Those are the tweeners. And then why do you want to be? Oh yeah, Papa, we want to. What's the next? Winner. So you have wimpies, whiners, weeners, and winners. <laughs> so this is how I told my kids. But the point is. It is absolutely a fact that we have a disease and epidemic of tweenerism going on. So, I mean, I'm looking so hard now, John. I'm looking so hard to be inspired. I don't know. I've been in maybe athletic for so long, but I just want to be inspired. I'm not inspired by anything I see on TV, especially stuff, what garbage the NBA is. John, you were a basketball coach. What garbage is it? Isn't it something how terrible it is? Those guys don't play defense. They they hardly try. When I was living in D.C., we went to a Wizards game, and I fell asleep. You know, I mean, it was just like, come on. Come on, play defense. What's the matter with you guys? Pathetic. Pathetic. And, and, and I just... And, and there's nothing on TV. They're trying these really exotic sports and all these things to try to evoke, get some passion in their activities again. Uh, they're playing they're these uh, super things where they have to run these obstacle courses and everything. And, I get, you know, college football is still pretty good. College basketball, it's okay. It's okay. But I'm, I'm looking to be inspired all the time. Tennis. We're struggling in tennis. 
in the United States were struggling. It's, it's awful. If you want to go back into the statistics, I have all the statistics, but it was 2002 was the last time we had a U.S. any type of a Grand Slam champion on the men's side. And, John, that's 64 tries. That's 16 years, four tournaments a year. That's 64 tries. That's not good for the U.S. of A. That's not good. Now, we've had Venus and Serena, I guess, but outside of that, we did have the girls did a little bit better this last year. But you look to be inspired, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying, why, 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 what's going on? This last weekend, I gave a uh, brief talk to a group of high school uh, coaches and some administrators, and I told them, I said, look, we have, in the United States of America, we have nearly 400,000 kids signed up for, for tennis in high school, but we only have 26,000 that actually play competitive tournaments. So that's 7%. So 93 out of 100 kids, John, play high school tennis. They sign up. But then they, they don't, they're not inspired to try to get better, to try to master the sport. Something's really, really wrong. We're in, 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 in the, but so, I mean, I don't think that it's, I don't think I'm off base at all. We have a disease, an epidemic of tweenerism. So, I mean, we've got to look for the causes. We're doing a great job getting kids into participation, but we're not getting them to pursue excellence. And uh, so I, I told the coaches there, I said, look, at Clemson and at the Citadel, where I've coached college, I always had a no-cut program. However, I had a high bar program. It was a no-cut, high bar. If you made your mile time, you could play on the team at Clemson. If you make your mile time, you could play on the team at Citadel. Well, right away, the point is is that people quit. They quit. They don't want to go through the pain to do it. And so I don't cut them, but, you know, the, the bottom line on the thing is they, they walk away and quit. But just that fact, I go, why in the world, when you have an opportunity to play a varsity collegiate sport at a D1 school, would you not suffer any kind of tough situation in order to, to be able to play? And, 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 and so why is, is the prestige from being on a collegiate team just been dumbed down so far? Has the bar been lowered so far that, and, and again, easy to pick up is easy to put down. You know, when we champion the weak, we weaken the real champions. That's why the no-cut program is such a bad, 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 bad. High school coaches out there, the no-cut program without a high bar is a bad, bad program. I refer back to when I was in Michigan, and if there's somebody up in Michigan listening, I was up there for the Nationals. They had, uh, we were out there watching kids practice at the local high school court. With the local high school court, they, they, again, I told you this on one of the previous programs, John, but at the local high school court, it, they were just getting ready for tryout program. And there were probably 25 or 30 kids 
that came out, and then the coach said, we're going to need the courts. Well, the coach ran to the car, and he brought out 12 dozen of Krispy Kreme Joe donuts. And I, I said, whoa, 144 donuts here for about 25 kids. That means each kid's going to hit four or five donuts. And I'm, I'm, I'm laughing, John. I'm just saying, what, what in the world are we doing here? Can you imagine when you were a basketball coach? Could you imagine that you would you would do something like that, have a no cut program in basketball? I mean, wh- why would you ever have a no cut program? It, it just cheapens and lowers the bar for for that. I mean, I it, it's beyond belief. So I, I you know, there's two re- rules you've got to follow. If you want excellence, first of all, don't reward average, always punish bad. <laughs> you know, and people say punish, they don't like that. But you've got to understand what motivates kids. They're not motivated by stuff, by a t shirt or donuts, or hey, you're a great kid, you made the no cut program. That's laughable. Could you imagine kids walking around at high school? thinking that, hey, I'm on the tennis team. Oh, is that the one where they allow anybody to stay out there? You didn't even – it's, it's absolutely ludicrous. So you don't reward average. You always punish bad. And I, I don't know where this all started. I think it started when they started putting bumper stickers on the back of cards that says, my kid's a great kid. My kid is an honor student that uh, – Slippery Rock High School, you know, my kid, it, it, it's just, it, it, it is mind-boggling. But we, we have a disease of tweenerism. So now because we champion the weak so much, we're weakening our real champions. And there's nothing to aspire to. There's nothing to try for. So I'd like to talk briefly, too, John, about the marketing. I blame the marketing people the marketeers, and I blame, look, I went to a USTA meeting last week, and they're marketing backwards. They have a, they have marketing things they do backwards. So am I on track where you'd like to go tonight, John? Well, yeah, I think that, uh, you know, and, and maybe my own bias as a coach, and, and like you, I ran a no cup program for years before the USTA came out with it, and I believe in a high bar. Uh, people, I was accused one time uh, with the USTA that I really didn't run a no cup because I had people cut themselves. I had meetings three months before we were allowed to use a racket because they were player-parent meetings. My my problem is, and it's, and I think the USTA has some responsibility to take with it, but I think our whole school system, we've gummed things down so much. How do you expect a high school coach, when you're paying him for three months or her for three months, to do these things? Unless you're blessed like I was, that I was able to afford to take the loss from my program to coach high school tennis, the average young coach can't do that. And so I think that we the no cup program starts with the schools. When when you and this is where I believe my Judeo Christian 
thinking of coaching is. I believe there's greatness in everybody. I don't believe that I could find that in three months on a tennis court during a tennis season. I think it takes a lot more time for me to know each individual and how do I get the best from this individual? How do I get the best from that individual? And so I think coaches, and I'm not taking, you know, saying we're not to blame for some of it, but I think the schools are to blame, and I think the the USTA is to blame because they look at the high school tennis as recreational and not competitive. So I'll let you go on from there. Well, let me let me tell you a quick story. When I was in College Park, Maryland, um, they uh, – the junior champion center up there. I mean, they do a great job. One of the things they do is they would open the place up and they do, uh, they'd bring in all these kids from inner city up there and the DC area. And, um, the kids would come in and you would watch them athletically. You'd put them through some testing things and you'd find one or two kids that, wow, they have good hand-eye coordination and, um, they're athletic and things. So you would, what they did up there is they gave this kid scholarship to learn tennis. Well, you would think everybody would be very, very good, but absolutely the talent level was not good. That's as kind as I could be. It was not good. And I was walking around and this one teacher said, Oh coach, she says, I'm a PE teacher here at such and such and such and such doesn't look very good out here, does I said, ma'am, I've got to tell you the truth. It doesn't. And she said, look, look, they've taken away all the tough things that we used to do, and they've replaced them with so many times. It's by design. She said to me, it's by design. I said, what do you mean? She said they're taking sports and tough activities out of the schools to take away kids' passions. I go, whoa, what? She said, yeah, what are the first things they cut? They cut art. They cut music. They cut sports. Those are passionate endeavors. These are the way kids learn how to be passionate. Music, art, drama, sports. These are the way kids learn to engage their hearts. And these people, it makes sense to me. They might be doing, they're trying to dumb the kids down. Now, we have a very bad, very bad policy in the United States. It's not written, but we dumb things down to the lowest common denominator. We, we, if, the, if we have three or four kids in the class that are slow, we take away from the rest to make sure that the slow are not neglected. And we, we don't, we hate to categorize kids as you're not getting it done, you're getting it done. It, it's horrible. So what happens, it's like a holding pattern for our kids. But you need to stimulate and create energy and give goals for the kids to go after so that the cream rises, so that the very best are allowed to run to the open field. We, for whatever reason now, we are bringing the best kids back into the pack, and you could call it socialist, socialism, if, you know, it's not socialism or whatever, or, hey, you're being nice to the kids, but basically 
you have to really, really work to get your kids challenged now academically and then forget it in elementary school sports. I need to talk briefly about sports for kids that are eight until they're 14 or so. Those critical developmental years where they should be learning the technical skills and learning how to compete, we farm. We don't have elementary school sports anymore, John. We farm the kids out to the the YMCA and to the PAL clubs and to the local little leagues and things like that. And so the kids end up playing for the blue team at the YMCA. We're going to play a social game where it doesn't matter if you score. If you're not, not best, nobody gets cut. And what happens is the passion is not there. You probably grew up. I knew you grew up in Massachusetts. I bet you know of the CYO programs. Yeah, in Connecticut. And we, I grew up in the CYO programs at my school, St. Catharines. We had football, basketball, baseball, tennis in the summers. But we competed. We wanted to be the best in our school, and we didn't want to lose to other schools. So we were taught passion through sports. But you don't become passionate when you're playing for the, for the YMCA blue team against the yellow team. And, and everybody's out there just saying, have fun, have fun, have fun. Now, there are certain ages, sure, the kids until they're 9 or 10, they're having fun. But when they, and they're getting introduced to the sport. Their participation mentality is being nurtured. But then when you get to be 11, 12, 13, 14 in there, when the puberty years start happening, what hap- it, it matters whether you win or lose. Losing hurts. Winning feels good. And that is good in itself. So the, the point is no great school sports, the watering down of our PE programs, the lowering the bar to the lowest common denominator, and I, I, a lot of this has happened through social social experimentation, social engineering maybe, but it's more social experimentation. So what what we have by the time get the kids get to high school is we we are draining. No, I mean we're not draining the passion out of them. <clears throat> we're never we're stunting we're stunting the passion. The seeds of passion are dormant. They lay dormant inside of these kids, and they're not being used. And then who knows what happens as they get older, but it's, it's really just awful. <clears throat> now, in the USTA, if, let's go to the tennis part of it. In tennis, I'm not, aren't you proud of me for not even talking about the no-ad scoring the 10-point tiebreaker notes? <laughs> but I have to... I have to at least go there for a minute. The no-ad scoring and the 10-point tiebreaker and our kids not having to play third sets and uh, the participation mentality has taken tennis to an all-time low. I mean, it, it really, I've never seen. My son plays baseball, so two or three times I'll go to my son's tournament on a Saturday and watch baseball kids, and then I'll go over to a junior tennis tournament. 
When I go over to the junior tennis tournament, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. Okay, excuse me here. It's medication time. I mean, they're going to put me to sleep here. It's We've got a lot of nice little kids, <clears throat> non-passionate kids, and and they're going through this, and the scoring system where we make it player-friendly or uh, what what I want to say, customer-friendly, so where it's not too strenuous on the kids is, is absolutely the worst thing that we could do. So I've, I've got, you know, John, instead of just giving all opinions, I really do have some back background information here I'd like to say. We messed up when we started working, worrying about people's feelings so much. My feelings are hurt. My feelings. I teach, uh, whenever I work with youngsters, I tell them there's four things by yourself, four things about the opponent. First of all, with myself, I'm playing John Denise, Coach John Denise here. It's what I see what I feel, what I think, and what I do. John, Coach John Denise, he, it's what he sees. He sees Coach Creasy, the, the opponent on the other side, what he feels, what he thinks, and what he does. Well, you, out of those eight things, I can control what I think, what I do, and I can control what John Denise sees. And if I control those three then I get the tennis gods allow me to control what I see as well. <clears throat> and you can control four things, John. What you think, what you do, what I see with your body language. And if you do all those well, you can control what you see. You start seeing weaknesses in the opponent's game. You start seeing opportunities. You start seeing little things that you don't see unless you have a disciplined mind. Now, do you understand that you cannot control what I feel? You cannot control what you feel or what I think and what I do. There are four things you cannot control. But here's the point. People think you can control your feelings. You do not control your feelings. If you had controlled your feelings, everybody out there, if you could control your feelings, you would never have hate, anger, anxiety, uh, any any type of the negative feelings you would never come. Feelings are like the weather that comes. The storms come. And it's your job to control what you not, first of all, what others see under pressure. Control what you think. Control what you do. <clears throat> so I had a psychologist one time tell me a really simple formula. He said, never be fat. F-A-T, B-F-T-A. Okay, what's F-T-A-F? Fat means I feel it, I act it. I act, then I think. I feel, then I act, and I think. I think most of us, in the, most of the people in America think this is okay to do because you got in touch with your feelings. We don't want to hurt. You know, we got therapy dogs because we feel bad. We got therapy because we feel bad. We don't want to have the bad feelings. Well, sorry, bad feelings are part of life. But it's important to FTA, he said. Feel, then you think, then you act. So feel it, then it's more important what you think than what you do. 
instead of feeling, act, and think. I, I thought that was fantastic. That I, when I heard that, you're able to name it, claim it, and then tame it. You don't name it, claim it, blame it. You know what most people do now? They name it, they name it, uh, rearrange it, and then blame it. <laughs> and, and, and because my feelings were not the right. So, John, in wrapping up here, I, I don't want to use all your time here today, but, you know, in wrapping up here, we've got a disease of tweenerism because people are into feelings. Now, I, I said something starting out. I said you got to do two things as a coach. You don't reward average. You always punish bad. Anthony Robbins uh, sport, is that psychologist. He got very famous 25, 30 years, 20 years ago or so. His personal power taste. But he preaches that <clears throat> pain and pleasure – Pain motivates you to run from pain. So when you play and lose, if it doesn't hurt you, you're not going to work to get harder. And therefore also going to reward, reward needs to feel good. But, But let me tell you when a reward doesn't feel good. My trophy doesn't feel very good when 15 other kids got a trophy doing less my gold ball does not feel very good when they give out gold balls to senior citizens to they give out gold balls to members of team sports they give out gold balls like peanuts and popcorn it doesn't feel very good it's not something very special so when we reward and champion the week the losers, we, we, we fail. The champions are not there anymore. It, it is, when we champion the weak, we weaken the real champions. That's why it's so bad to have a no-cut program where you don't have a high bar. So if coaches are listening, remember, no-cut, high bar. That's great. That's ultimate. I feel for that kid who wants to be a player and he's got a big heart. But I don't feel for that lazy kid who just wants a T-shirt to breathe air, occupy space, and to hang out. I, I, don't, I do not want any part of that kid. And we need to get that kid out of there. We need that kid needs to go do something else because that kid dumbs everything down. The, the kid who doesn't give his best in school dumbs everything down. The kids that... It does not inspire me to get a valedictorian certificate if they're given a valedictorian to the other 28 people that have all 4.0 grade point average for four years. That's what they're doing now. So what is my – oh, I got valedictorian. Well, so did 27 other people or 28 other people. So, John, it's it's horrible. And so we're not – champion the right people it's it doesn't think of how hard it was as a kid to become an eagle scout i I didn't even get past first class when i was a boy scout but right now who's going to go after being an eagle scout if they make it much easier i mean how, how are you going to so the point is is uh Nobody's going after great things. 
or they get great things merely on their God-given talent if they're that gifted. And again, we're, we're, we're not nurturing the passion of the heart. So I, I think we're in trouble. I, I really do. So go ahead, John. I, I have to agree with you because I think um, I think it back of, I don't know, probably about three months ago, and uh, in one of my commentaries, I talked about socialism, the creativity, and capitalism, uh, and conservatives, where creativity comes from. And I think part of the reason, and, and quite frankly, I, much of my, the remarks was, I, I agree with what you're saying, Coach, but you shouldn't bring politics into tennis. Well, I don't think there's anything in life that there isn't politics as part of. And I think we have to ask ourselves, you know, why, you know, socialism has failed all over, and we're starting to fail in our country, our schools, because we we teach from the bottom up. We don't teach from the top down. Uh, We're asking uh, uh, people that, in my opinion, we're taxing people with our school systems and taking by taking sports out of them, because only the real the people that can afford it can go out and play sports no more. And there's there's always an expense. You always need more training, more coaching, and everything if you want to become at a different level. But I mean, I have. Two grandsons in baseball now, both of them with college scholarships. Uh, but I think, and I love them both, and you know, and I hope they both become pros uh, like they want to. But the demands on them are many. The, uh, the, the it goes beyond the schools. My daughter recognized, and my son-in-law recognized that they couldn't depend on the school system to get them where they wanted to go. Their grandfather was a pain in the neck and reminding them about grades, reminding them what they have to do, reminding them that they've got to mentor the people under them. The truth of the matter is when they started out, I seen a half a dozen kids on their team that were probably equally as good as my grandson. When they went to high school, there was only a couple of them because they couldn't afford it. We're, we're sitting well, there giving everything, that socialist system, trying to give everybody everything. We're giving them nothing. And uh, and there's no easy, you know, there's no nice way to say it. I mean, but the fact of life is that the coaching, I think, today is getting more difficult all the time because you're fighting a system. You know, I was told years ago, I two things. I probably had three or four people tell me the same thing. You'll never make money in coaching, coach. You'll never make money in coaching. They both had two reasons. One was I was having too much fun, and the other one was from other people was you're too hard. You expect too much. You're pushing too much. You can have fun and work hard. Eventually, no, it's not fun for everybody at the beginning with it, but eventually, you know, okay, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to compete with Chuck Greasy. I know how great he is, but I'm getting better. I'm ready to challenge him now. I'm going to have fun doing this. You can do both, but we can't do it by expecting less from the people. And this is 
why I believe that the Almighty, if we do believe there is Almighty, and and if He created us in His image, then we got to find that greatness in the individuals, and society is looking to tear that greatness out of everybody because we're trying to make everybody at a level that is sustainable. And the reason, the only way it could be sustainable to everybody is that we lower it so much. So well, I'm going to give you the last four minutes. What, you're explaining what socialism is, and it's very good to talk about that. And here's the tr- The danger is that within a few years, no one will recognize what excellence is. And um, they will not recognize it in music, in art, in sports, or anything. And they will believe that it's born into an athlete and it cannot be worked on. So, therefore, people will take their lot and they will not pursue. They'll drive between 55 and 63 miles an hour and never push themselves towards excellence. I just want to make one point. USTA last week in the meeting, they, they, they talked about when you have something like a product, you have something, then you promote it, and then you teach it. Now, that's backwards. I wanted to talk and say, look, look, here's what happens. And here's, here's a good example. Um, I'd like to use the example of the red, orange, and green ball. They got this product, and they had a theory, and they used millions of dollars to promote it. All right? And it's been a bomb. It's a good teaching tool, but the but the marketing and everything and forcing kids to use it, it's been a bomb. Now, on the other hand, you have the UTR. The UTR was not only not promoted by the USDA, it was discouraged by the USDA. People discouraged it for years. But right now, everyone knows what the UTR is, and the red, orange, and green is sailing badly. Well, there you have something. When it's a good idea, what you do is you teach it, and you help make it successful, then you market it and promote it. You promote it last, but we have turned over the promotion and the marketing of everything. Listen, including our kids, we'll see a 16-year-old phenom, and we will market and promote that young lady or that young man, and it will ruin their career because they haven't done anything yet. Very few hold up to the scrutiny of being marketed before they succeed. But the marketeers are to blame. And the USTA, shame on you guys for putting marketing ahead of education. Education should always come before entertainment. If you do it the backwards, you will never get the, the education part of it, and it will not sustain desire. So tweenerism is unfortunately maybe here to stay but we can at least name it, claim it. And folks out there, let's tame it. Let's tame tweenerism. Let's call it for what it is. Don't don't reward kids for average and punish them or cut them or let them know when they do less. And 100% of the time, Coach Denise nor myself nor you will ever have a kid come back and say we work too hard. But you will have everyone come back and they'll say, why did you serve Krispy Kreme donuts at our practice? Didn't you care about us enough to try to teach us how to play tennis in the right way? So, John, we just killed another session.
But uh, okay. it's always a pleasure talking with you, and I look forward to next month when we talk again. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure. And Thank tell you, your John. friends they can listen anytime they want uh, to Block Talk Radio. That's one of the advantages. Bye now. Merry Christmas. Bye. Merry Christmas, John. Merry Christmas, Chuck. <laughs>